unbelievable in her ability to put things together and to put her heart and soul into everything. I, I mean, she cares so much, and uh, it's such a pleasure to be part of this and to be here with you tonight. Um, I've been flying around the states for the past uh, two and a half weeks, and this is the fifth city, and uh, our last stop. And it's really exciting to be here, to see all of you, to reunite with many of you. I want to begin with one of my favorite quotes. It's a good one. Everyone needs an end to journey towards, but in the end, it's the journey that counts the most. Now, often we hear quotes and sayings, and we don't really think about whether we relate to them or they're even accurate, such as, uh, she wants to have her cake and eat it too. Well, why else would she want to have her cake? <laughs> Watch it get stale, <laughs> you know, really? Or, when you lose something, you always find it in the last place you look. Of course you do. You would, why would you continue looking and you found it, right? So, everyone needs an end to journey towards, but in the end, it's the journey that counts the most. Why does the journey count so much? I mean, if anything, the journey is really annoying, right, because we want to get there already. So tonight I want to answer that question, what is so special about the journey so profound and powerful about the journey. We're all on a journey. Life is one major journey, and there are a lot of minor journeys along the way. Dating is a journey. Getting married is a journey, or remarried. Going to school or going back to school. Parenting. These are all journeys that we're on. And along our journey, there are ups and downs. Now, Ravolvi tells us what an up feels like and what a down feels like. Ravolvi, one of the great late teachers and leaders of Musser of self-development in the past generation. And he said as follows, when we're on and up, what does it feel like? We're successful, we're in flow, we're connecting to ourselves, to others, we're connecting in, in prayer, we feel great. And then there are the struggling times. How do we feel during those times? A bit blocked, a bit stuck. Things just aren't connecting. We feel disconnected from ourselves, disconnected from our friends, our social support group. And we feel connect, disconnected often during those times from God. Ups and downs. Now, Ravolvi did not write this book for hormonal women. I actually wrote it for Yeshiva boys. <laughs> So if it's true for the guys, all the more so, it's going to be true for us, that there are ups and downs. Now, we don't want our ups and downs to look like this, right? But more like the ups and downs of Rebbeinu Tam. So I want to share with you, first of all, in uh, how we, how's our Hebrew doing? Yeah, how many, can I, can I see a show of hands for people who can read, if I, who can follow, if, if I read? Okay, so we're just going to do one, one source here. Take a look at number two. Oh, you don't have them. In your mind. I have them, okay. So let's, go. I, have, uh, I have a helper here tonight. My son flew over from Israel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this kid has been uh, really 
I, I said, you know, one of the things that every mom struggles with is the guilt of working and going to work, and you know, and especially when you get on a plane and you leave your family. Uh, so my other kids are, uh, you know, pretty big. The one before him is already in the army, so he's like, you know, he's he's a little one, he's a baby. So I couldn't leave him. I said, next time I go, you're coming with. And here he is. And he's always been helpful. When he was one years old, two years old, three years old, he always, four years old, always came into the shidduch, uh, the um, interviews that I would do with the guys. He always, <laughs> always came in. And he always had something to say. <laughs> always. Like, once. One year old. Okay, wait, so can you, every other person, yeah? Thank you, yeah. Like, once, thank you, sweetheart. Um, no. Right, once there was a, a guy over whose name was Guy, and he was very playful, and, um, <laughs> and Yoni, this is before you remember anything, sweetheart, so you can hear this story. <laughs> So, so he was very playful, and, and Guy was, you know, playing with it, talking to him, and at the end I said, you know, so what do you say to Guy? He played so nicely with you. So he turns to Guy and he says, you don't have a name. <laughs> like, Guy is not a name. You need a name. Like, Shmuley, right? And then he started calling him Shmuley. And every time Guy would call, he would say, Shmuley, <laughs> So uh, then this one guy came over who was like, and he gets up in the middle and says, Ema, I don't like it. And he marched out. <laughs> so uh, he's uh, been quite involved in the process. Only follows that he should be you know, here tonight also. So let's take a look at, if you can see number two, uh, maybe someone, maybe someone just came in now, someone can share. Okay, it's just going to be a short... Uh, Rabbeinu Tam. Now, Rabbeinu Tam is going back a thousand years. This is Rashi's son-in-law. Rabbeinu Tam says, well, let me give you the background. Rabbeinu Tam is talking about how when we're on a high, when we're on an up, we're inspired. We often worry, oh, I hope this doesn't wear off, right? I finally got it. It's, I'm clear. Right? I have clarity. It feels so good. It feels so connected. And then, I don't worry, this doesn't wear off. He says, don't worry about it. Why? He says, I'll can in number two. Therefore, ain sarich bitchilat avoda. It's not necessary in the beginning of your work, when you get all excited, right, whatever that, that high happens to be. Liyot choshesh. It's not necessary to be worried in your kutzvah, to come to dislike it if you're not going to be so excited about this next piece of inspiration. And by the way, it's a friendship also. I mean, friendship is an exciting time. And, you know, Shatova, you know, when you get married, an exciting beginning. Well, oftentimes, wherever we are, uh, there's a times where we're just caring. He says, don't worry if the excitement is going to wear off. Why? This is the law of love. From the beginning. What is the law of love? In the second line. Kitagia reaches a certain point. And then it wanes. And the and afterwards teshuv. It will return the and renew itself. Get stronger, and renew itself. Kanesher. Does anyone know, know what a nesher is? Like, like an eagle, right? So this is what he's saying. I uh, I didn't think there'd be a blackboard here tonight, so I actually had this <laughs> laminated, right? This is what Rabbeinu Tom is saying. He's saying we are carried at times. We're inspired. A new beginning, a new idea, a new friendship, a new whatever new job, and then, like anything new, it starts to wear off, it starts to wane, and if we hang in there, we're going to catch the next wave, right? And we're carried again, 
And then that starts to wear off, and then, right, we hang in there, and this is how it goes. Now, it's a good thing, Rebbeinu Tam says, that it starts to wear off, because otherwise we just would never get to the next point. But it's really annoying when it starts to wear off. It is so frustrating. It is so frustrating when the light is on and we're so clear and so connected, and then it sort of gets dark and, and just weird. And, you know, it's really frustrating. But if we know what to do with the cycle, then we can make sure that we don't crash during these struggling times. And if we do crash, we can get up stronger. And again, the goal is to be able to make the, the highs last longer, those inspiring times last longer, and these, the challenging times shorter. You up for this? You up for six tools tonight to make this happen? Yeah? Yeah, I'm going to get really practical and share six tools with you to help us really to make the most of this process. Number one, Rapolvi tells us just knowing that it's normal and natural to have ups and downs in life will help us just get rid of a lot of the sadness and the confusion that comes along when we do have those moments of ups and downs. When we look at other people and we think, well, that's like, she just, her, her life is so easy. It is like, and her, like, how come I'm the only one who has these, like, moments of difficulty? So Revolve assures us everyone does. There's no such thing, he says, because we're human. And being human means that our journey in this world is, is, is much more like a plane ride than a train ride, right? No one's life looks like this. It's, you know, we're going up, then we hit the cloud, and there's an air pocket, and ooh, a little turbulence, and then we get back up, yeah? Right? So that's part of being human. Even a very righteous person, what we call it tzaddik, that's a day, even a very righteous person who we see, like, it's just, you know, so on, and so together, and so giving, and so... You know, even that person has their ups and downs in their process, in their closeness with God. We just can't see it. It's a very subtle process. And our goal, certainly, as we get better at this, is that our process also calms down. And it does, as we get better at this. But we need these tools. Okay? So number one, we said, is knowing that it's normal and natural to have these these ups and downs, or ups and challenging times. Number two, what's the second tool? The second tool is that we want to milk the challenging time. Milk the challenging time, because it is a very, very important time. What do I mean by that? Any classical music fans here? Okay. So Yitzchak Perlman, that the world-renowned Jewish violinist, he once was playing at Carnegie Hall, which he often did. And um, if you know anything about Yitzchak Perlman, we know he was stringed with polio as a child. So when he when he gets on stage, he walks with the help of two crutches, and he has his clasps on his leg, legs, and he gets to his chair, he puts the crutches down, he takes off the clasps, he picks up his violin, and he proceeds to play. But you see, this one night, something went wrong. Because just as he started his, the piece, and he was a few bars into this symphonic piece, one of the strings broke on his violin, and it went off like gunfire across the room. And everyone who was there that night was sure what, what he would have to do. Have to put the clasps on his legs, pick up the crutches, and find his way off stage to look for either another violin or another string for this one. But he didn't. You see, we all know that it's impossible to play a symphonic piece with three strings, right? Because a violin has four strings. It's not like a piano has 88 keys. One goes, you manage. <laughs> You, you know, you can't, we know that it's impossible to play a symphonic piece with just three strings, but that night, 
Yitzchak Perlman refused to know that. And instead of getting off stage, he picked up his violin, nodded to the conductor to continue, and he played with such passion and fervor that they'd never seen anything like it before. At one point, Okay, so where were we? We were in, the, in a Yitzchak Perlman concert, right? And his, and his string broke. And instead of switching the string of the violin, he just continued to play, which is really an impossibility. But Yitzchak Perlman refused to know that. And he played with such passion and fervor, no one had ever seen anything like it before. At one point, it seemed like he was... He was detoning the strings, modulating the piece in his head, and he played, it was unbelievable. And at the end of that piece, there was an awesome silence in the room. And then everybody stood up and, and started yelling and screaming and cheering at the top of their lungs just to show him how much they appreciated what he had done. Well, Yitzchak Perlman raised his bow, and he quieted the audience, and he said in a very pensive, reverent tone, he said, you know, sometimes it's the artist's task to see how much music you can still play with what you have left. That's deep. How much music you can still play with what you have left. You see, it is during these times that we are challenged that we come face to face with our true self, that we start to reveal an inner wisdom and a strength that we never knew we had. This is a very, very important time that we want to we want to milk it. I'll, I'll tell you a story of someone who I once taught, an amazing, amazing person. When, when she was 12 years old, she started having panic attacks. And when she, it was only when she was 15 that she got the diagnosis about having an anxiety disorder. When she was 17, she spoke for her senior class, and she told the story of her, of her illness and her struggle with it. And she gave me a copy of her speech so that I could share with other people. And I want to share this with you. And her hope is that her process will strengthen other people in their process. Again, this is a 17-year-old writing. Today, I am thankfully aware of the fact that God gives me only tests that I can handle. Simple or hard, I can handle them. And I've learned so much since I was diagnosed such as dealing with my own problems or helping other people deal with theirs. My perspective on life has changed. I now try taking a more positive approach to things. I deal with, with and honestly deal with things head on, and it, it makes coping a lot easier. I do believe that I became much stronger from something that could have made me so much weaker. 
dealing with my anxiety has been one of the greatest challenges in my life. But I'm a better, stronger, and more confident person because of everything I've gone through. I've learned that living a life of fear is not living at all. And while obstacles may arise more than I'd like them to, there is no problem I cannot handle. I've learned to take some risks and face my challenges head on. Everyone has their mountain to climb, and this is mine. The rewards of trying, whether I succeed or not, are always better than letting my worries run my life or wondering what would have happened had I not had the courage to try. Awesome person. Today, years later, she's doing incredible things. When she's talking about a mountain, she says everyone has their mountain to climb. We all have our mountains, big or small. But if we have the understanding that these struggles and challenges, whatever they are, are actually blessings in disguise. They are. They're blessings in disguise. Right? It's during these times that we really can reveal who we truly are, our true strength, our true wisdom, if we have the right attitude. Right? That's why King David, you know, King David had a lot of tests in life. And what he ended up doing was he said, wow, I've grown so much through my tests. What did he say? Did you know what he said? He said, God, give me some more tests. This is great. This is great stuff. Because I'm, I'm finally really getting in touch with who I can be. And then he taught us, what did King David teach us? Not to ask for tests, right? <laughs> so we don't ask for them. But when they come our way, they are tremendous gifts. They are tremendous gifts if we can really approach them the right, the right way. Okay, there's a very famous verse in Mishle, in Proverbs, that a tzaddik, a righteous person, falls seven times and gets up. You heard this? Yeah? So, Rabbi Hudner tells us, one of our great teachers, many people misunderstand that verse. They think, yeah, even a righteous person falls seven times and gets up, in spite of that, those falls. He says, no. What is the... What is the teaching here? That a righteous person becomes a righteous person because of those faults, not in spite of them. It's because of those challenges. So it's these times. The second point here is in terms of learning how to milk our challenge is, wow, you know, this is a potential time for greatness. That's how we want to approach it because that's the truth. That's really when we... We understand, we find who we are. And, and I'm actually so passionate about this journey and this part of the process that I, I wrote a song about it. You want to hear? Yeah. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> okay, so uh, I, I have the words for you there, but um, it's Spira, so I don't have my guitar, but we'll manage without it. Um, See, maybe you'll help me out with some rhythm. If you catch on to the chorus, you sing along with me because I'm not a professional singer. Um, Anyone beatbox? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's for my uh, my Killing Me Softly song. <laughs> you probably heard that one, right? Yeah. Happy. Most of you have heard my 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 version of Killing Me Softly, right? No. You haven't heard my version. Of Killing no. Me Softly. Yeah. 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 What? Actually, you know what? Maybe I'll do it first because, yeah, because, the, good, no, not, because the journey song like takes me into the next part of, my, of the lecture. Okay, we got to be in the right mood. All right. Okay. So you want to kill me softly? All right. Here we go. All right. Here. I, I need some. This one I really need some rhythm though. Okay. All right. Now this is not killing me softly with his app. With his song, it's killing me softly with his apps. Okay. It's dedicated to. My favorite line in that movie, he's just not that into you, right? Um, where this girl says, I miss the days of one phone and one voicemail. Today you can get rejected by seven different technologies in one day, right? Okay, so, um, 
Here we go. This is Killing Me Softly with his app, not app, apps. Okay, that's another song. Okay. Are you really shaping this? <laughs> All right. You know, they say the first 20 years of your life, you're like worried about what everyone thinks about you. <laughs> and then the second 20 years, you're like, I don't care what anyone thinks. <laughs> and, then the third, and then after that, you're like, I guess everyone's not thinking about me. <laughs> or if they are, that's their problem. <laughs> that's where I'm at. So I just turned 41. So. I was just telling someone when you hit 40, you start going backwards. <laughs> All right, here we go. It's a piece of rhythm. All right. Oh, my God. Soul over soul. <laughs> soul here. <laughs> okay. All right. He's driving my pain with his fingers. He was texting my life with his words. <laughs> Killing me softly on Facebook. <laughs> On Twitter, telling my whole life on WhatsApp, softly with his eyes. Keep going. <laughs> we video chatted all night. We really got so close. I texted him my whole life story, the secrets all came out. Turns out he's got 16 girlfriends, <laughs> and he's done time in prison. <laughs> with his fingers, he was texting my life with his words. Killing me softly on Facebook. Really softly, you can sing with me on Twitter. Tell him my whole life on WhatsApp. Really softly with his apps. He beat the end of me last night. We vibed in cyberspace. That I WhatsApp him, it was so romantic. I really felt for him, but it turns out that he's 80 years old. And my with his fingers, he was texting my life with his words. Killing me softly on Facebook. This is all based on true life story. Leave it all for fun. I gotta get Skype in, right? You go on Skype for months and months and posted pictures on Instagram. <laughs> finally made a day to meet up in person. He said something really mean that I look better on a screen. Oh, <laughs> Which is such a it's such a privilege to be part of so many people's journeys, and having accompanied my family and myself on my journey as well, and really seeing the magic in the journey, the magic that again it's during the times that we're actually challenged that we reveal so many wonderful things about ourselves, and we tap into our strengths. And we don't want to be afraid of it. 
We don't want to be afraid of the journey because then we're not going to cash in. So here we go. Right? The, the chorus is the to journey towards, but in the end, the journey that really counts the most. Why? Because the magic is when you stretch to that place you never knew. And you reveal the real inner you. Right? That's when we reveal who we truly are. So here we go. To catch on, we could sing again because we got the words right. We've all been there, we know that place. We set high goals, want to quicken the pace. We want to change, but don't know how. We want results and growth right now, right? <laughs> it's two steps forward and one step back, and sometimes three steps back. <laughs> Keep yourself on track. Secret is in the process. Stick it out and you will see the nest, the miracle. Cause everyone needs an end to journey towards. But in the end, it's the journey that really counts the most because the magic is when you stretch to that place you never knew then you reveal the real interview sometimes the journey seems so long <clears throat> so we try so hard but we get it so wrong Shem is with you on your road. He's carrying both you and your love. The moments that we feel so trapped. We want to move forward, but we feel held back. When you want to give up, you got to push right through. That's when you break through to something new, right? Because everyone needs an end to journey towards. But in the end, it's the journey that really counts the most. Because the magic is when you stretch to that place. it this way because we have so many different layers of self and I don't know if you can all see right um, we have our core self which we'll talk about in a few minutes and we have our values which come from our core self which express our true ideals our bedrock beliefs about what's right and wrong we have our character traits which we need to know right she is so caring, warm. She is so efficient. Right? She is hysterically funny. She is unbelievably laid back, right? We all have our different things, our different strengths. We need to know our character traits. We have our talents and abilities that we also, they're so important. They're an, such an important expression of who we are. Our talents. Our abilities, right? Are you artistic? Are you business-minded? Are you fashion? You have a touch of fashion and aesthetics, right? You have a computer touch, whatever it is. We need to know our talents and abilities. 
But again, what ends up happening in life is that we get so caught up in the process of living that we spend a lot of time in our talents and abilities and what we do and what people know that we do. And maybe we go a bit deeper to our character traits, but we never really or we don't have enough of those times to connect to our core. And when we connect to our core, that's when we feel rejuvenated. That's when we feel so in touch with who we are. That's our, that's our core. It's like the battery that keeps us going. We need to, to, to charge it. And how do we charge it? Well, prayers is an important way of learning. Even if you get in one lecture a week, it can go far. Nature. Uh, hearing ideas that put us in touch with our core. I'm going to share a couple with you that <coughs> here are some core ideas. I've learned that we don't have to change friends if we understand that friends change. I've learned that no matter how good a friend is, they're going to hurt you every once in a while and you must forgive them for that. I've learned that it's taking me a long time to become the person I want to be. I've learned that either you control your attitude or it controls you. I've learned that regardless of how hot and steamy a relationship is in the beginning, the passion fades and there better be something else to take its place. I've learned that money is a lousy way of keeping score. I've learned that just because someone doesn't love you the way you, that you want them to, it doesn't mean they don't love you with all they have. I've learned that maturity has a lot more to do with the types of experiences you've had and what you've learned from them, a lot less to do with how many years you've actually lived. I've learned that credentials on the wall don't make you a decent human being. And I've learned that even when you think you've got no more to give, when a friend cries out to you, you will find the strength to help. It's core stuff. And this stuff <coughs> speaks to our core. Here's another thing I just found. This is really great. This is the Charles Schultz philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. Snoopy. Okay. You don't actually have to answer these questions. Just ponder them. Name the five wealthiest people in the world. Name the last five winners of the Miss America pageant. Name 10 people who won the Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Name half a dozen, at least half a dozen Academy Award winners for Best Actor or Actress. Name the last decade's worth of World Series winners. How'd you do? You see, the point is that none of us remember the headliners of yesterday. And these are no second-rate achievers. They are the best in their fields. But the applause dies, awards tarnish, achievements are forgotten. Accolades and certificates are buried with their owners. Now, let's try another quiz. Let's see how you do on this one. List a few teachers who aided your journey through school. Name three friends who've helped you through a difficult time. Name five people who taught you something worthwhile. Think of a few people who made you feel special and appreciated. Think of five people you enjoy spending time with. How'd you do? Is it easier? Yeah? The lesson is that the people who make the biggest difference in our lives are not the ones with the most credentials, the most money, the most awards. They're simply the ones who care the most. They're the ones who've touched our core. Our core is our neshama, our soul, that higher self. Whatever puts us in touch with that inner self is going to give us rejuvenation, give us a life. It puts us in touch with our vitality. And that is why this process, this journey is so precious. Because when we're on that high, we are in touch with our inner self. When we're struggling, it puts us in touch with a whole other level of core self that we need to tap into. And often, 
because of that tapping into that core self, that's what brings about the next wave of the next time. It's like, oh, I got it. I got the clarity. I got it. Oh, yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Am I the only one who's... You know what I mean? Yeah? 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 So this is so, so profound. Okay, so the second tool is milk the challenging times. Right? When those times come and we're just not as excited and we're not as inspired and we're, we're groping a bit, we got to remember, oh, right, this is what Hannah Levitan was talking about. This is the time. We're going to milk this time. Yeah? Look inwards. We're going to grow. Okay. That's the second tool. Number three. Tool number three is prayer. Now, it's not just prayer during the tough times, but Rabbi Dessler tells us we want to pray during the ups, that during the times when things are good, so we don't fall into the parking lot thing. You know the parking lot uh, scenario? You know? Like, I'm sure it's, it's like this. Oh, no, I have three minutes. I have three minutes of appointment. I can't believe it. God, please. <laughs> Parking place. I'll do anything. I'll be so good. Just give me a parking place. Like ah, two and a half minutes. To, God, please, just do anything. I'll do anything. I'll be so, I'll be so, so good. Just in two minutes. Oh no, God, please. One minute left. Oh no, I'll do anything. God, please. Oh, there's a parking place. Okay, God, thanks anyway. I'm okay. Right. When we we just when we call when things are tough only and things are okay when things are okay often it's like yeah you know I'm good God I'll call you if I need you if you need me I'll see if I can help out too yeah <laughs> and we forget we get disconnected so therefore we want to stay connected keep that spiritual connection when we're on the high on the up and Certainly we want to pray during the, the challenge, right? I just saw a beautiful article in the Harvard Business Review about resiliency. What is it, the, what are the keys to being resilient, to bouncing back? So one of the keys is prayer. And they've been writing about this in, in the Harvard Business Review. And they say that when the, <coughs> they say that prayer is highly co <clears throat> correlated with resilience. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. That when the going gets tough, the tough often pray. Whether they're in prison, <coughs> prison camps, on the unemployment line, or at the bedside of a loved one. Right? Prayer is a connector. But again, we also want to make sure that we're using the prayer on the ups. Got it? Yeah? Which then leads us to number four. The fourth, the fourth tool is writing. We should write. Now, when is the most important time to, to write? And I'm talking about journaling. I know many people say, oh, but aren't you like too old to journal at some point? No. I don't think we're ever too old to journal. Uh, and partially that's because as women, when we get upset, you say, when guys get upset, what do they do? Well, not when they get angry, when they get upset. What do guys tend to do? Not angry. They go into their cave, right? They, they, right, they withdraw. When we get upset, what do we do? We need to talk. <laughs> we need to, not talking about anger, but we're just upset. You know, we need to, we want to pick the phone up and call our best friend. Now, instead of calling your best friend for the fifth time that day, you can journal and keep a fetching journal. That's fun. That's great. That's amazing. It's a good thing. But I think more important than the fetching journal is what I suggest as a, a clarity journal. To write when? When we're on and up. That's when we really need to write. That's when we often feel like we don't need to. But that's when we want to record our insights, our, our understandings, right? Our feelings. The more we write on and up, the better it is. The better we're, you know, because if you do it once, twice, three, four times, five times, you have a whole clarity journal filled with ideas and, and, and inspiring thoughts. Yeah? 
And then, if you're having a cloudy time, you pick up your clarity journal and you help yourself. You become your own revisit. You become your own therapist. You don't have to call someone. It's like you read over your clarity journal and you get, and get yourself out of that funky mode because of what your own words, your own experiences. Get it? Now that, that suggestion, I have heard more positive feedback over the years than any other suggestion that I've made because people who do this really find that it, it can be life-changing. Okay? So you want to write on when? On the up, especially when we start getting the clarity back. That's a time to write, 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 write. Record your thoughts, your feelings. And in the Clarity Journal, put in, again, an idea that you've heard in this lecture, that lecture, uh, a quote, uh, an idea, an insight. You're sitting on the subway, and all of a sudden, you get this, what we call a havraka, this like, oh, I get it. Write it down. Because when we are clear and we're on that high, oftentimes we feel like, oh, now i got to figure it out. <laughs> right? For now, that's it. 120 years, I am in the clear in fifth gear. And then, sometimes we don't really, you know, like it starts to wear off. So you write it down. And just writing it down helps us to reconnect to it. Got it? Yeah? Okay, next, another great tool, number five, is to give. To give during the ups and during the, the challenging times Sometimes we get so self-absorbed that we forget everybody else. And just by getting out of ourselves and connecting to another person, that oftentimes just changes everything up. Okay? Uh, and, and I don't mean that you have to go volunteer in some you know, big soup kitchen you know, if you're busy. You can just give with a smile. Smiling at someone is, 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 could be a change their day. Right? You don't have to go do something major if you're too busy that, at that moment. But we can call somebody and say, how you doing? I know you weren't feeling well last week. I know you were going through something last week. How are you? Right? So we want to look for an opportunity to give. And we certainly want to make sure that that giving that we do is something that the other person will appreciate, not just plastering, plastering our chesed, our, you know, our giving on someone. You know, the story about the guy, this, this kid who comes home and is, his clothes are all torn, and he's bruised up, and, and uh, his, his mother says, what happened? He says, well, you know, I, I was helping this old lady cross the street. So she said, why do you look like that? He said, well, she didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> so certainly we want to make sure that our, you know, our chesed is needed, not just plastering it onto someone. And last but not least, another very important tool is humor. To use humor. Who is named after humor in the Torah? Yitzchak. And what was Yitzchak's character trait? Do you know what his main character trait was? Gavura. The ability to rise above a situation. Laughter helps us to rise above a situation so that we can come back and deal with it in a more positive, efficient way. Okay. Um, the Jewish ideal of laughter is not just to run away, you know, go to a comedy for comedy's sake, but to get away and then to come back and use that new energy. So I remember, to, to exemplify what, what this is, I, I remember once when I was being trained in a certain type of uh, couple's work, and uh, we're a bunch of educators, therapists, you know, sitting in this room being trained, and I was sitting in the back, and in front of me was this really, really cute couple who were somewhere in their 80s. And I couldn't help but, you know, I was trying to look at the instructor, and I'm sitting there, and this couple was sitting right in front of me, right, right in my face. And every five minutes or so, she'll pinch his cheek, and he touches her arm, and they keep checking in with each other. It was so cute. And, and in the intermission, I, you know, I'm not particularly shy, so I, you know, said hi, you know, and he was, oh, I don't know. Uh, I couldn't help but to notice you, because you were in my, you know. And I'm wondering how, um, how long you, you're married. You're such a cute couple. And I do a lot of research on marriage and couples. So, so, he's, so he says, you know, when I said, how long are you married? He says, not long enough. 
I said, well, that's really cute, but um, I'm wondering how long I've got to get my, you know, my uh, research. <laughs> so uh, he says, uh, you guess. I said, all right, 50 years. He says, close, 56 years. I said, that's beautiful. I said, every couple has their secret. What's yours? He says, you'll never believe me. I said, try me. No, you'll never believe me. I said, I said, just, yeah, I'm open-minded. He says, okay. Our secret is humor. We laugh our way through everything. We fight all the time. We laugh at ourselves. We laugh at our marriage. <laughs> we made Aliyah. Everyone's fetching. We're laughing. <laughs> what a beautiful way to live. That's so great. You know, at any moment, we can just turn it around and, and just give it a laugh. And this is not only true, by the way, these six tools are not only true for our own personal journey, ups and downs, but remember, Rabbeinu Tom says this is the law of love. It reaches a certain point, and then it starts to wane. So this is true in relationships. It's true in friendships. There are times when the friendship is just carried, and there are times when there's some turbulence in the friendship. That doesn't mean throw the friendship out, unless, you know, someone did something really bad, but there are times of struggle, okay? In every relationship, there are going to be ups and downs, okay? As a parent, there are times when a mom feels like super mom, and there are times when a mom feels like monster mom, right? There are times when it's harder. In a marriage, there are times when it's like so great, oh, we're so clearly destined to be together, and then there's times of, what was I thinking? So... There are ups and downs. There are highs and lows. And anyone, again, who's you know, been through this process in a healthy marriage will say that you know, the, the greatest highs, the greatest highs are the ones that are a result of the struggle, the time of challenge. You know, clearly there are challenges that render a couple, you know, I mean, even though I wrote this, the book, I only want to get married once, there clearly are times where someone, it's just like, things are so crazy that there are times to get out, specifically if there's abuse, unchecked mental illnesses, unchecked addictions, and sorts of, sorts of weird uh, curveballs that pop up. But I'm talking about, you know, the relationships that are in the norm, there are times that every couple have these times of struggle. And it's during these times that the greatness of the couple, the greatness of the marriage is revealed. Okay, so we're not afraid of them. And if there's one thing I really want you to take home tonight, it's just it's not to be afraid. Not to be afraid of the growth process, but to embrace it. And this is also a lot of what is going into my upcoming book, which I'd like to take a few minutes uh, and tell you about uh, my upcoming book, which is, at this point, it is going to be called, Oh, That's Why I Married You. <laughs> uh, how to live with, and then live is crossed out, and it says love with your personality differences. How to love with your personality differences. Not just how to live with them, but we're attracted to someone who has differences in personality. That's just the way we are. Remember, when you're dating, you're looking for shared, common values. values. But there are going to be personality differences. Now, I don't say go out and look for the differences, but if you're attracted to each other, some of the differences will be there. Okay, what we found in our research, this is now a book written uh, based on research people We've interviewed couples in eight different uh, countries, and it's fascinating. Every religion from Baha'i to Islam to obviously lots and lots of Jews, uh, lots of Christians. Uh, we even have a witch married to a pagan. Okay, I mean, talk about you know internet. No, I don't know. So, so. Again, the, the top differences that we've come up with in terms of our research, we have the <clears throat> extrovert and the introvert. Introvert, extrovert, 
spender saver. Disorganized, organized. Then we have the passive, more, more passive and more assertive. Slow, fast. Okay, it's it's beautiful to see the what we call in Hebrew hashlama, the completion that is possible when people have a right perspective on their differences, on their personality differences. So again, but there's the journey. There's the times when the personality differences are complementing each other, and then there's the times when it's like, really, really, this is friction. But that is where the growth happens. So it's the same idea there. Uh, and I would say, to tie it up, we have five minutes? How are we doing? No? <laughs> Can we go five more minutes? Yeah. 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 <coughs> because the last relationship I want to bring in about the ups and downs, the highs and lows, is the journey of the Jewish people. Our nation has had some pretty intense struggles. We've had some incredible highs. It is during the time, I have to say, 30 years later, living in Israel, uh, having gone through the Gulf War, many, many bombings, and this, you know, crazy times. The last year, the the the, uh, the, the Gaza War in Israel. If any, some of you were there. Uh, the closeness, the unity, is is almost tangible, and we felt it with all of you in the diaspora as well. But our goal is to feel that unity when things are good, not just when things are tough. And I want to share with you just a story or two about the beautiful things that happen every day in Israel. I remember once at Neveh, many of you have met at Neveh, so I'll tell you one story. One, one morning, it was a Sunday morning at Neveh, right after Shabbat, and, and someone, I saw one of a student, and I said, are you okay? She looked at her flushed, and, and, and I said, she says, well, I just, I was coming back from, from last night from Shabbat, and these three guys were like, hoodlums were coming down the steps, and they tried to grab my bag. But my bag was wrapped around my arm, and they couldn't get it. And uh, but I was really shaken up. I said, "Well, did you call the police?" She says, "Well, I don't know how I'm in Israel. I don't know how to call the police. I you know, just call, you know, nine one." So um, so I said, "Come on, call the police." So she's sitting there, and I'm call the police, right? And it's Israel, right? Uh, no, uh, you don't need the, this police. You need the, you know, that one. I call that one. You know, you don't need this one. You need that one. <laughs> I'm on the fourth police station, right? I'm like, well, you know, this happened, and this, you know, and I tell each time I start telling the story. And I, so finally, the fourth police woman, she's like, yes, what happened? What was she wearing? What was? What did they look like? And she's taking out all the details, and um, and we get like, the whole story. And then she says, so where, where, what was she doing in Israel? I said, she's learning. Uh, she's learning about Judaism. Where at Neve Yerushalayim? What's Neve Yerushalayim? Eh, it's a school where people can come from all over the world to find out more about their Judaism, and uh, like people who didn't have background often. She says, "Oh, like Balot Shuvah." <laughs> I said, "Right." She says, "Oh, you know, I have a neighbor who's 25, and he's a Balot Shuvah. Maybe you have a shit for him." Is this the police? <laughs> Actually, had the guy come to the bay. I, you know, I meet this family shot. I don't know what happened, but it's one big family, one big family, right? And I also, I'll tell you another. I'll tell you one more story before we say goodnight. Uh, and I, I was telling the story over in Detroit, and the person I was telling the story that was sitting in the audience, and she verified this. Okay. But I had one detail that was, you know, when you hear a story, I actually heard this from a student of mine that happened to her cousin. So this has, she happened to be in the audience in Detroit. She was in labor. She gets in the taxi. And they're uh, in the taxi. She and her husband and the labor and the taxi driver, right? <laughs> and, of course, the taxi driver always has something to say, right? So, uh, so, so yeah, they're going to the hospital, and, and he turns around and he says, your wife is having a boy, a, a girl. So the guy says, no, I think she's having a boy. No, it's a girl. It's a boy. And they're arguing about whether it's a girl or a boy. The taxi driver is like, I know. <laughs> it's a girl. So the husband says, you know something? You seem so sure. 
How about let's make a deal? I'm not going to pay you for the ride. <laughs> if it's a girl, I'll pay you double. So look how you got a deal. It was a girl. <laughs> but the guy, this new father, in the midst of all the craziness, lost the, the um, business card of the taxi driver. And he felt so bad. And it was Aaron Rosh Hashanah, just before Rosh Hashanah, and they flagged down a taxi, the baby, the mommy, the the husband, and they get a taxi, and it was him. And he, they didn't remember him, but he remembered them, and he says, oh, you, it's a girl! They are the one! And he says, oh, I felt so bad here, I'm saying, come on, and a tip, and you know. Uh. So, I, I just want to say, it's been such a pleasure to see you. Thank you. Um, saying Hebrew, a successful journey on your individual journeys, relationship journeys, and as together as our nation, we should st really stick together and be there for each other and merit to feel that closeness during the good times as well. Thank you so much for coming. If anyone wants to continue learning with Khan Levitan in Israel, Souls has a lot of scholarships and money to help you get there. And seriously, yes, really, uh, please contact me privately. And in the meantime, we get you through.